Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. Due to the rating of this podcast, we'll be using very general language. Please note that this episode may contain language not suitable for children. Since this podcast is about adoption, the precursor is pregnancy, and the precursor to pregnancy is a lack of or ineffective use of birth control. Therefore, we feel that this topic is one that we must address. Birth control continues to be a topic that many people are uncomfortable talking about. This stems from decades ago when birth control became uh, more prevalent, more there were more options, and it's important to talk about in relation to adoption because we do work with women who have unplanned pregnancies, crisis pregnancies, and pregnancies that may have been planned but are no longer desired. Women who place a baby for adoption may return to our adoption agency to place a second baby or even a third. A common question I get asked is, you know, what are you doing as an adoption agency so that women don't keep coming back? And we've talked about this in previous podcasts, and that's why we have the Donna K. Evans Foundation. The other thing that's unique about building Arizona families is we will pay for birth control for a birth mother after she has a baby. If she just, if her insurance doesn't cover it. So let's say she's interested in getting an IUD. We will actually pay for the IUD if her insurance won't cover it just to assist her in making a choice so that she doesn't have to come back and ask, you know, because she's gotten pregnant again, or she didn't have the means to be able to get birth control. So because women do come back a second time or even a third time, I get asked the question, why? Like, why are they still getting pregnant? They know what causes it. What's happening? And I guess the best answer would be a lack of birth control or birth control that's not used effectively or correctly. And when I speak with women who come to our agency to place a baby for adoption, we always talk about their pregnancy and how they got pregnant. And we talk about this, whether this is their first baby or their 10th baby. And we do talk about birth control and and whether or not they were using it and whether or not, or why it didn't work, I should say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Obviously, it didn't work. Whether they were using it properly, right. Right. So the most common answers that I get when I ask them how they became pregnant, the answers are, I didn't use birth control. I forgot to get my shot. And they're referring to Deborah Provera. I wasn't planning on having sex. Uh, We don't like to use condoms. I wanted to have kids, 
I thought I couldn't get pregnant. I had my tubes tied. He told me he couldn't have kids. We have never had to use birth control before. I thought he was going to take care of it. And the last one is, I have no idea. The Guttmacher Institute did, did a study and I found it absolutely fascinating because throughout this podcast, part one and two, I really want to talk about what's going on. Why are all of these women and men not using birth control? We have more types of contraceptives than we've ever had mm-hmm. in in the his, in our history. And it's more readily available than it's ever been. And yet we're still having so many unplanned pregnancies and we're having repeat unplanned pregnancies. Even though we are an adoption agency and we're working with birth mothers, that doesn't mean that we want them to keep having to go through placing a baby for adoption and experiencing an unplanned pregnancy. So this institute found that there are 61 million women of reproductive age, 43 million of them are at risk for unintended pregnancy. That's astounding. Unbelievable. The numbers, I went through them before we uh, started recording and I was just amazed by these numbers. Yeah. They also go on to state that couples who do not use any method of contraception have approximately an 85% chance of experiencing a pregnancy over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. That's really high. Whenever I look at percentages, I always think I relate it to the weather. And I don't know why I do this, but I relate it to the weather. So I think if there's an 85% chance of rain, I'm going to take an umbrella. Right. It's pretty likely. Right. It's pretty likely. In the United States, the average desired family is two children. To achieve this family size, a woman must use contraceptives for roughly three decades. So in other words, to keep from having more than that, too then you've got to be consistent and uh, continue to use some kind of birth control. Right. Right. Yeah. So what they're saying is because there is a 15% chance if you don't use contraceptives. Yes. So that's that, that statistic is a little confusing. They went on to say who uses contraceptives. More than 99% of women aged 15 to 44 who have ever had sexual intercourse have used at least one contraceptive method. Mm-hmm. Some 60% of all women of reproductive age are currently using a contraceptive method. Again, these numbers are terrifying. Right. Only 60%. Well, I mean, obviously, oh, yeah, almost 100% I mean, of women. Engaging. They're not all engaging in sexual relations, but, but 60% of that age group is using contraceptive. Right. Uh, 10% of women at risk of unintended pregnancy are not currently using any contraceptive method, which means they are going, if they become pregnant, they're going to have to choose to parent the mm-hmm. place for adoption, or unfortunately, some of them are going to choose to have an abortion. Right. Uh, the proportion of women at risk of unintended pregnancy who are not using a method is highest among those 15 to 19, which is 18%, and lowest among those aged 40 to 44, which is 9%. This is interesting because I would say the average age of our birth mothers is low to mid-20s. You know, but that statistic is kind of what you would expect. The The younger, less mature people are going to be uh, twice as likely not to use it just because they're younger. You know, I would say less mature, I would say less educated. Less educated? Yeah, I would say less educated rather okay. than less mature, less educated. You know, okay. if you, you know better, chances are you're going to do better. Right. That's how the theory goes. 
contraceptive use is most is common among women of all religious denominations. So that's interesting. Among women at risk of unintended pregnancy, 92% of those with an income of less than 300% of the federal poverty level and 89% of those living at zero to 149% of poverty are currently using a contraceptive method. So that's encouraging. It actually is, yes. You know, that's one of the reasons at our office um, again, this is a little controversial, but again, I, safety first. So we have a, a basket of condoms actually in our front office because, mm-hmm. you know, we want women to be able to take them, even if they are pregnant to help from transmitting any sexually transmitted diseases. Right. We want to keep them as safe as possible. Um, you know, if they take a handful and they're, you know, giving them to their friends to stay safe and not have, you know, an unintended pregnancy. I think that that's great. Right. Now, you say that's controversial. It is. Why is that controversial? Because sometimes in in our office, um, we have children that are there. And so our receptionist will just have her take the basket and kind of put it where, you know, the children can't see it. Sure. Right. Um, But again, our, you know, our goal is to make sure that we are keeping as many people safe as possible. Right. And some people to this day are are uncomfortable talking about birth control. That's why I said it's still one of those topics that people are not comfortable talking about. Hmm. Because if you're talking about birth control, you are referring inadvertently to sex. To sex. Certainly. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's got to be less controversial than it was in, say, the 50s and 60s. You know, because then you didn't talk about anything. Well, I think, I think it's gotten better. But I think in some ways we've regressed. And that's what I want to talk about next. Okay. Uh, So back in the olden days when I was in school, you know, we had sex education classes where Mm -hmm. they discussed birth control in extreme detail. You know, we had to watch a video on labor and delivery. You know, we talked about STDs for days and Mm -hmm. days. Uh, They scared us stupid is what I used to refer to it as. I mean, they terrified us. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely terrified. I don't remember ever having the option to not go. Right. I believe that when I was going to school, it was the same thing. And they separated the boys from the girls. So we got different films and different education. But uh, I believe that the parents could opt you out of it if they, you know, protested to you being taught that in school. But as kids, we couldn't just say, no, I don't want to go to that class. Right. I'm sure that's the case. I don't remember that. I remember maybe one or two children would go to a different room mm-hmm. and um, that always caused some of the kids in the class to start laughing, which I don't know why that would be funny, but um, kids are weird like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so now, you know, we learned a lot back then. Back then, you know, I, I feel like we, you know, we walked away and we knew a lot nowadays. And I can say this because, you know, I've had many children go through middle school. Mm-hmm. They can opt out, at least at the public school my kids go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and parents can go and preview the materials before they're explained to the kids. And they can go through everything. And that's good on one hand, but not on the other. Because if you share, in my, this is all my opinion, if you share general information to a group of students they're all going to get the same information mm-hmm. and it's going to be correct information. If you take a third of those kids and remove them, they're not getting the information 
they're not being given information by a trained professional mm-hmm. and they're not going to have knowledge of what everybody else does. So I think some kids are at a disadvantage. I definitely I see your point, lot. but I also see the point of a parent saying, this is my job to teach my children as long as they're actually doing it. Who knows? As long as they're actually doing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, so. You have those parents. That will say, you know, my child is not going to have sex before the end of high school. They don't need to know this. Right. And I don't want to put this in their head. And unfortunately, that's our goal, but it's not reality. Right. It's not. And that doesn't mean that, you know, we as parents need to be like, okay, well, you know, it's fine if they do. Well, no, it's not fine if they do. Mm-hmm. But in the event that we're not able to prevent it, let's give them the mental tools so that they know how to prevent a pregnancy, how to prevent an STD so that they understand what really happens. Right. There's so many myths out there. There's so many things that are incorrect. So I'm really a huge proponent of uh, sex education in the school system. I really am. I think that that is one of the number one keys to eliminating an unintended pregnancy. Yeah. It it makes a lot of sense. And like you say, you're getting actual factual information that's you know put into a course basically and it's like a curriculum of okay these are the things that children need to know and i i I see what you're saying i really do and i just i'm just saying that while i don't agree with it a hundred percent i understand the parents saying wait a minute that's a bridge too far for some rando teacher to be and i think they're looking at it as like an opponent, somebody you're in a fight with. And it's like, I don't think that's the case. I think teachers are genuinely there to help. And I don't know. Yeah, it's, that's tough. It is. It's a very touchy subject. And, you know, I'm coming at it from, you know, I am still a certified uh, school counselor. Mm -hmm. And I work with women that are experiencing unintended pregnancies every day. Right. I have a ton of teenagers. And so I, I feel like, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep everybody safe. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sure that we are as equipped educationally as we can possibly be. Yes. 100%. We want our kids to be abstinent until marriage. I believe that that's what I want for all of my children. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a reality? Probably not. Am I going to still preach that? Yes. But in the event that one makes a choice that is not the same as I want them to make, I want them to be educated. And I don't believe that sitting in an, you know, an education class in school is going to make them want to go and have sex. I also think something you brought up earlier, I think it should be important on those parents who do object to actually go in, like you said, and talk to the teacher, see the curriculum, see what they're being taught, and at least then maybe make that choice. But uh, I think that maybe that's what should happen is if you want your child to opt out, then you are required to come in and view these materials and see what they're missing out on. And two, you know, for those parents that are not in in a field of working with, you know, women who are experiencing, you know, unplanned pregnancies that are not in a medical field, that are not in a school system, and you want to be the one to teach your child 
so that they have the information firsthand from you. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're current. Make sure that you understand the latest statistics. Make sure you understand the current forms of birth control that are offered. Definitely. Make sure you understand because that's why we're diving into this is a lot has changed. I was shocked at some of the things that, that we're going to go into that are very different than I was taught when I was right. in high school. And Ron, you're older than I am. <laughs> Much. So, <laughs> not much. But you're older, so you can, you know, it's 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 different. You know, I went to um, my undergraduate degree is in family studies and human development, and I took a, a pretty much famous class at Arizona State University. It was Human Sexuality by Dr. Owen Morgan. This class was known throughout the campus. It was the most popular popular class to get into. He was an Arizona State University faculty member from. Uh, 1968 until uh, 1999. They say during this period, nearly 100,000 students passed through his classes. He was popularly known as OM. I remember that class like I took it yesterday. And he went where no man has gone before. He took the topics that you were briefed on in high school and he ran miles with them. Mm -hmm you would learn more in that class than you would even, than you could even comprehend. Mm-hmm. And when you were sitting in that class, it, there wasn't a moment that was boring. There was um, videos and he had, he had such an openness about him that there was nothing you couldn't ask. I mean, he would do surveys that, you would think, is that really even appropriate for him to be asking us? But what he would do is he would have you, you know, write it on a piece of paper and he would tally him up and, you know, you, you pass it forward, he tallies him up and then he gives out the results and they were astounding. Really? You know, oh yeah. Everything from um, first aid, how old you were at first intercourse, um, how many partners you'd had. I mean, it was unbelievable, Right. but it gave us a real time perspective of our fellow classmates. Mm-hmm. Without uh, actually putting names to it, right? No, 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 not at all. You just write the numbers and then you would pass it forward. And you would look at it and say, oh my gosh, 68% of these kids had sex before this age or right. whatever the question right. was, right? And it, it was so incredible mm-hmm. to experience something like that because it was putting everything in such a, a, a real-time perspective. Mm-hmm. And there was once that the funniest moment for me in that class was they were showing a labor and delivery video. He was, and you know, there was a a student that passed out, literally passed out in the class. And I thought at that time that that was kind of funny because, you know, I mean, that wasn't what you'd expect from a college kid, you know what I mean? But it was, it was traumatic uh, for someone. Got it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we learned so much and I'm so sorry to hear, you know, he, that he has since passed on, Mm -hmm. but I will never forget this professor. Like he's the one that, if somebody has gone to Arizona State University and they were in that realm of classes, I mean, people from business classes were taking it. I mean, it was that intriguing. And yet he did it in such a masterful way, the way he taught this class, that you were better for taking it. And, and that sounds weird because it was a human sexuality class. Right. But, you know, if you go online and you and you read, and I was as I was researching for this podcast yesterday, I was I was researching him and a little bit more about him. And there's articles to this day about him. 
Really? So I, I feel very lucky that I was able to be in, in his class. And I think that that candor and that approachability is what is lacking in society today. Mm-hmm. I think that we are so closed mouthed about the birth control, about teaching our children what this really is. And because of that, we're doing a disservice. And in that women are experiencing unplanned pregnancies and crisis pregnancies. And that's really, really hard. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines.